It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Small businesses bring Utah together. They inspire goodness and connect communities. These are their stories from Mighty Main Street, brought to you by the Utah Office of Tourism and Visit Salt Lake. Here's our host, Chris Redgrave, on KSL News Radio, 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Thank you for joining us for the Mighty Main Street Business Show every Sunday from 11 a.m. to noon. We're interviewing our resilient small business communities in Salt Lake County and across the state of Utah. These are the folks creating our jobs and driving Utah's market. They develop our main streets that support the vibrancy of our tourist economy and where we as locals also enjoy dining and shopping. This business program is underwritten by CEO Caitlin Eskelson with Visit Salt Lake and the Managing Director of Utah Office of Tourism, Vicki Varela. I have Nathan Rafferty with me, and he's a president and CEO of Ski Utah, and he's been doing this particular job for 16 years, but it started before that. Nathan, you were just sharing with me your experience with Ski Utah and how it all started. Can you give that uh, give that story to our listeners? Because it's really cool. Sure. Yeah, I've been the president here for about 16 years, but, uh, you know, I've worked my way up. I... Um, I was an intern here right out of college in the summer of 1994, bounced around a little bit, but um, up to a couple of our ski resorts, but uh, have mostly been just here at Ski Utah. I'm a PR guy here for seven years and receptionist for a couple years and intern and all the above. So it's, it's pretty much all I know mostly for my career. That is extraordinary. I mean, there are people that would do so much to be able to have this kind of position. And uh, and for you to have started at the ground level and worked your way up like that, that's actually quite remarkable. Yeah, you know, I guess, you know, the board of directors here just can't shake me as much as they might try. But uh, I feel really lucky. The ski industry is just, you know, I can't imagine a better spot to be. And, you know, I'm sitting here talking to you, looking at our amazing mountains and just feel really lucky that, um, you know, my job is to kind of share the amazing uh, ski experience we have in our backyard with people from around the world. So just so that you know, because these are folks that you know, this program uh, was started by Viggy Varela with Utah uh-huh. Office of Tourism and Caitlin Eskelson with Visit Salt Lake. And the whole idea behind it was to support our small business community because we were going through such a challenging time this last year. And so those yeah. are those are two folks who are in your business. Tell me how you interact with individuals like that. Uh, with the ski, with the ski business, with the tourism business in the state of Utah. Yeah, you know, well, I, th- I think we're really lucky here in Utah. And one thing that maybe sets us apart from other destinations, and I know it's true for sure in the ski industry here in Utah, is how we work together so well, so cooperatively. And maybe it's a, a Utah cultural thing, but um, I work closely with Vicky, the Utah Office of Tourism, and Caitlin, of course, at Visit Salt Lake. Everybody's got. Um, you know, skin in the game when it comes to the ski industry in our state. We're a $1.7 billion industry, have grown tremendously over the last decades, uh, you know, and, and we're just so lucky here in this state where we've got skiing in the winter and then, 
gosh, just, you know, less than four hours away, feel like you're on another planet in some of our amazing Red Rock down south. And, you know, that's the thing that keeps me here. There are lots of great ski towns all over the west, um, but none of them have the diversity that we have here. And uh, I live in Park City and we've got this international airport 45 minutes away from my driveway and hop on nonstop flights around the world. It's just uh, a great place to be. I'm so glad you mentioned all that. I just, you know, I went on my first trip since, uh, you know, since we had this challenge with uh, the pandemic. I just feel like new money. I was so excited. I got to see the airport, which is stunning. Um, I got to, I went to a nice hotel. I was able to just felt back to normal. It really did, Nathan. I It, it really rejuvenated me, and I'm, I'm very excited. I didn't realize we were at $1.7 billion. I knew we were up there, but, I mean, we're on the backside of a $2 billion industry. That is extraordinary. Yeah, and it wouldn't surprise me at all um, heading into next year if we get some decent snow. And, uh, you know, this year was great in terms of visits, but the, the revenue is probably not quite where we would hope it would be with all the um, changes the resorts needed to make for COVID. But, um, you know, I think we'll blow past that $2 billion mark um, just in the next couple of years. It is big business in this state, and we welcome a whole lot of people that spend a lot of money and employ a ton of our residents and, you know, just allow for this amazing infrastructure. You know, the people come from around the world, they come and go, but we get to have it in our backyard. And because we welcome all these people, it means great restaurants, amazing hotels, the lift infrastructure that we have, we would never have if we didn't have so many people visiting from out of the state. So, you know, these are important things to remember. You know, I really appreciate you mentioning that, that the impact of these visitors that come to Utah are the reasons that our resorts are state-of-the-art and world-class. I've got a just a funny question for you. I really am taken by the fact that we have this incredible powder snow and that it is, you know, we're we're basically, we're a high Sierra desert. And so this water is coming through, you know, pretty dry air. And so we have this unique powder. Does anyone else have this or am I just like... Not many places do, and we're just we fall in this really uh, perfect zone. In, in fact, uh, Jim Steenberg, who's the head of the meteorology department at the University of Utah, wrote a book called "Secrets of the Greatest Snow on Earth," and he explains in detail um, what it is about our snow. And it's not actually the lightest. Um, Colorado's technically can be a little bit lighter, and it's not the most. Um, you know, there are places in the Northwest that get more snow, but what we do is get a lot of really dry snow. And it's the kind of the perfect combination of everything. And I could talk your off about this for uh, days, but um, you know, what's important is that our snowfall is really consistent and really good snow, you know, where we average between 400 and 600 inches of snow here. There are other ski areas in the West that don't even average 200 inches of snow. And, because of that, it makes for amazing ski conditions, and, you know, we kind of hang our hat on that greatest snow on earth. Um, you know, we're, I, I grew up here, so it's all I know, and uh, feel really fortunate that we've got it in our backyard. What happens in a year like we had this year where the snow came so late? Uh, I mean, what yeah. happens from a tourism standpoint? Do people understand that it's still great skiing and you can basically be skiing in April? What happens when this when this late snowfall yeah. hits? Chris, that's a really good point, and it's um, you know it's happening more and more too. In a town like Park City, if we the resorts there had not invested in the snowmaking infrastructure, which is 
really costly and really labor intensive um that our town would not have had skiing um at christmas time lift infrastructure sorry the snowmaking infrastructure today the technology has improved so much that you can make a really amazing ski product with man-made snow and that didn't used to be the case um so the resorts work really hard and spend a ton of money to make make snow in the years like we had last year. Um, you know the the number of inches of snow that fell this year. You look at Altas, it's bumping up close to 500 inches, and it's not just how much, but it's when, and which is probably most important. You know, if we can get it to snow in November and December really well, that sets us up through the whole season. So the snowmaking just provides us some kind of some level of insurance so that when people come here for the all-important Christmas week, they've got great product to ski on. And it was especially important this year that we had a lot of terrain open to spread people out. And, you know, a a horrible situation would have been having one or two lifts open at a resort, um, really, really long lift lines and have people jam together. But because the resort's were able to do what they did with snowmaking. They were able to get a lot of terrain open and, and spread people out, which was important from a safety perspective. Well, that makes sense. So it really it really provides that beautiful base that we need to be able to enjoy the powder that comes, you know, that our, our God-given snow that comes. And so that makes a lot of sense. And I never thought of it that way, that the equipment has improved over time. Yeah, it's become much more energy efficient. Yeah, you use less energy, you use less water, uh, make, you know, what's really good skiing on manufactured snow. And, you you know, I never would have said that 20 years ago. I really do feel like I'm speaking to someone famous. Your name is synonymous with skiing in Utah. Uh, yeah. And so I, I think that this is extraordinary that you've had this wonderful run and you seem to have a deep appreciation for your for your roots, as you say, that you started, you were a receptionist and an intern, and I think it's extraordinary. I can't imagine what you have seen since your tenure, since it started in 1994, what you've seen and how skiing has advanced. I, I can't even imagine what you've witnessed. Well, it's pretty amazing, and our resorts here for sure have just changed so much. Um, you know, there was a long time, I'd say, you know, the first half of my career where all 15, well, at the time, I guess it was 13 ski areas, were all independently owned. Um, and almost all of them have changed hands in the last decade. And we've seen big uh, consolidation of the resorts. There was a time when, you know, Utah really wasn't on the radar as much as it is today. It wasn't kind of eye level on the grocery store shelf like Colorado or Lake Tahoe in California or Whistler was. Um, but now there's no question that. Utah is synonymous with some of the best skiing in the world. And when people think about skiing in North America, you know, um, we're right up there with some of our competition. And and to be fair, there's lots of good skiing in uh, the American West. So we've got a lot of competition, but um, things have changed a ton. And, and, you know, luckily that's poured in a ton of money that has been able, we've been able to see those infrastructure improvements, you know, five-star hotels, all over the place in uh, in our ski world and, and amazing chairlifts and grooming equipment. That stuff is not cheap. You know, you buy a high-speed quad these days, you know, very minimum, you're in at $5 million bucks, and oftentimes they're oh bumping goodness. up to $10 million. So, you know, replace an old creaky fixed-grip two-person chair is um, not cheap. And, and luckily we have all these people visiting that are allowing resorts to do that for us because I, 
I like riding them as a local, get a whole lot more skiing in. Absolutely. We're going to take a quick break. Uh, Nathan Rafferty, and he is our president CEO of Ski Utah. We're going to take a quick break. Nathan, we'll be right back because I want to talk to you about transportation and, and a few other cool things that are, are affecting our business and some of the problem solving that's around it. So we'll be right back. Thank you. Check out today's business interview using the KSL News Radio app or at KSLNewsRadio.com. Just click on podcast. More stories on Mighty Main Street here on KSL News Radio, 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America, but this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.